0: This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. Today I'm talking to the owner of LXD Fitness. He has been a personal trainer for 11 years. He is also qualified in FST, massage and is a graduate of the University of Newcastle in sports science and has a master's in sports psychology. He is Lawrence Davis. Hey Richard. Hey Lawrence, how are you? I'm good. Good. Okay, so I want to kick things off talking to you today about basketball now you're a big basketball fan a lot of people might not know that but there's not a huge basketball culture over here so how did you get into
1: it I was a football fan a ridiculous Arsenal fan up until secondary school and then for some reason with the group of friends I had we all gravitated towards basketball okay and it's almost like it became part of our school culture for us as a group of friends was just playing basketball and then from there I never looked back.
0: It's interesting. So it wasn't, it wasn't a particular team or anything like that that got you into it. Like, uh, uh, I know it used to be on Channel 4. So
1: See, the funny thing is, because of the age, think about it, I was about 12. I actually couldn't watch it on TV because most of the times it was on, it was late night with Channel 4. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, when um, Jordan was in his prime, I, I kind of heard about it as I understood basketball more. But I was never able to watch it because it was way too late.
0: Okay, so you got into the NBA a bit later then?
1: Uh, Yes, a bit later. Honestly, my love for basketball, I can't even explain. (laughs) It's so weird to say. I think it was also, you know, part of um, the area I was in. So it sounds weird, but looking back when I talked to a lot of my friends who went to school in different boroughs, we weren't exposed to a lot of sports that other people were. So, you know, we didn't have rugby on the curriculum. We didn't have tennis. The main two were just football. And because there were so many of us that wanted to play basketball, basketball. Okay. So I had to pick between the two. And after finding the love of basketball and all my friends playing basketball, it was just a natural transition. And also in my area, at that point with all the kids or, you know, all the age groups, I really got close with like a couple of guys who were maybe two, three years older than me that loved basketball too. Okay. So it just became inbuilt to my social network. Even now, I go to meet some of my friends that I've known for like 10, 12 years and we go play basketball just like we were when we were like 18.
0: That's great because obviously it means that you keep, keep that social kind of connection up and that sportiness. Did you, you played at university as well, didn't you? Yes. What position did you play when you, when you were at uni?
1: When anyone asks me that question, I always laugh my head off because I'm so short. There's only one position I can play. Point guard. I can't play anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a shooting guard, but even then I'll be an undersized shooting guard. But yeah, that was my position.
0: Okay, that's nice. So I've got a big question for you then, basketball-wise. All right. You sitting down? You ready? Jordan or LeBron?
1: Oh, the anger in my heart. I knew it was going to be a question like that. I knew you was just going to make me angry. I don't understand how there can even be a comparison between the two. I know the way the new school think. So this is the way I try to describe it to most people. If you take away... Most of the things that Jordan done outside of basketball, the level of endorsement and publicity he brought into basketball. If you take all of that away and just go on stats, he was six from six in the finals. He won three championships in a row twice after taking a year and a half break to play baseball. LeBron's stats are nowhere near that good. I think he's won three, maybe four championships, but he's lost another three to four times in the finals
0: i think you're absolutely right because jordan took chicago bulls from being a non-entity to being effectively he is what they are right their reputation is based on him now you can argue lebron did something similar for cleveland but the fact that they were beaten by the warriors virtually every time they played them in the finals and you know Jordan's era isn't exactly that much easier because he he's coming in at the time when you've got Magic Johnson at the Lakers, Larry Bird at, at
1: Celtics. You had um, the bad boys in Detroit. Yeah. You had some insane teams. You had Stockton and Malone. Yeah. You had, it was, East and West were just extremely stacked. Plus, because I'm a buffin in this type of thing, plus now there's no hand checking. So before you could hold a guy, as a defender, you could hold someone with your, with your hand. And kind of push them off or have more of a leverage to keep with them. Yeah. They don't have that now. You're not allowed to touch them. So all of these things, if you put these factors together, you can argue a point of that alone. However, when it comes down to it, the ultimate thing is winning. And he took, as you said, a terrible franchise to one of the greatest franchises ever, ever. And he'd done it against the hardest competition. But look, forget all of that. Three times in a row. Who else has done that? No, nobody. I think um oh, there's a, a legend a Boston legend I cannot remember his name. Defensive legend legend and he's got like 10 rings. He isn't he the guy from the 60s. Bill yeah. Russell. Yes, yeah. his name. He would be up there too. What makes this conversation even more interesting is when you ask Jordan, Jordan will never say he's the best cuz he he says I never played against the guys in the era before me. So how can I say that I am better than them. And it's a smart point. He can say he's better than Michael Johnson. He can say he's better than Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Larry Bird. He can say he's beat them. But he can't say that ever before he's beat any of them. So how yeah. can he actually, you know, claim to be the best?
0: Well, yeah, exactly. It's an interesting one. Okay, so let's move the question back onto fitness. Yeah, because, so, you
1: know, I'm, I could talk basketball for two hours. Well, yeah,
0: and that, that's what that's what I've noticed. So <laughs> we're going to move this along a little bit. So uh, can you explain to the listeners what FST actually
1: is? So I'll give you the most basic version possible. So FST, fascial stretch therapy, is based around fascia, which is like a minefield in itself. But for the listeners out there, it's literally inside your body, you have a complex web of kind of gooey stuff. It's like... You know when you clean a chicken and you've got that layer of like see-through gooey bit that you need to take off it? Yeah. In between the skin. We have the same thing in our bodies. But as is, I would say, a lot more interconnected to everything else. So there's trains of thought where they believe that the fascia runs through everything. runs through the muscle. It, the nerves are interconnected in it. It's almost like that binding thing that keeps everything together. And one of the key things that helps it or, you know, has a negative effect on it, is hydration. Right. Just think about it as layers of things, two layers needing to move together, and without the hydration, they start to stick. So if you put that into the body now in terms of how that relates to muscles and movement, if you get tight in your fascia, it's almost like someone's put a bit of glue on your arm somewhere. Right. And that point is now stuck. So when you need to move anything around that point, it doesn't move. Right, I see. And that's why when people talk about, when you talk about muscles, if you think about muscles and you go back to the fascia, a lot of the knots and issues you have with muscles will be because the fascia in that area has got tight.
0: Okay, so effectively, if you think about it, it's like the the area around it has got sort of gummed up.
1: That is the best way to say it because the more you start to understand the body and look into like, you know, it sounds a bit morbid, but like cadavers and stuff like that, when you really see the body in its true state, you realise that, the body isn't like it is in a the textbook. There's not individual muscles the way people say there's individual muscles. There's systems of slings, which are like chains of muscles that work together. But all of that is underpinned by the fascia. Because right. it's the fascia which goes through all of that, which connects, let's say, the quad to then the hip flexor. Or would say your abdominals up through to your pecs. It's... It's that that connects everything and allows you to move smoothly in a multitude of directions. I see, okay. So then putting that into now, you know, the rest of the system, fascial stretch therapy, it's about stretching the body, not to stretch one particular muscle, but to stretch chains of muscles which are bound and connected through fascia. And if you loosen the fascia, then everything else in the body loosens up.
0: Okay, so in a traditional stretch, let's take, say, a hamstring stretch, you're just stretching the hamstring. Whereas in an FST session, you're not just stretching the hamstring, you're stretching a whole sling of muscle around the hamstring that maybe goes all the way up the body.
1: Yes, because you understand that anytime time you, like, so a good example is the hamstring. If you pull up and stretch the hamstring, because of the position that you're stretching from, you're not only stretching the hamstring, you're stretching the whole, you're stretching through to the calf. Right. Because the pull is going to go all the way down. And on top of that, because of the connection of where the fascia runs through the hips, you're also stretching into the lower back because the pelvis has to move. And the thing, it has to move because it's connected to everything else.
0: Right. I see. So it's it's more holistically connected and that's where it comes in. So rather than focusing on, say, uh, a stretch in isolation, it's a collective stretch.
1: So one thing I get quite a lot of people is they'll say they have lower back issues. Right, And for a normal person to be like, a normal therapist to be like, okay, I will just work on the lower back. A lot of lower back issues I've found come back from below the hip, come up from like your adductors, come up from your hamstrings. Because if you think about a string below and above your hip. Right. If someone keeps constant tension on the fascia below your hip, anything above your hip doesn't really move. Yeah. Because you're pulling it, you've got that pulling, that tension, not allowing anything to rotate. And it gets locked and gummed up. That's it. So that's the, the whole premise of FST is to work around that. So I can't even talk about this without even mentioning like the forefathers and the people that, you know, taught me how to do it. So you got people like Chris and Anne Frederick. They're the ones that created FST.
0: Right.
1: Anne used to work with a lot of high level um, sports people. I think she was um, they've got a term for it in oh, she was a physical therapist. Right. In America. But it's funny because they call them PTs. And what yeah. we call PT over here is a personal trainer. Yeah. So there's always a confusion when I go over there. Like, <laughs> is he a physical therapist or a personal trainer? Both the same. <laughs> but So she done it in a way where she could use... She's like four foot two or something. But she was doing it on like 300 pound, 400 pound guys. And she worked out a system whereby it's not about the strength of the therapist. It's about moving... The other person's body around yours to get the connection and get the pull and the, and the stretches right so it's not uh, it's, it's hard to describe it's one of those things that i can explain it to you but it's always best when i show people videos getting your mind around actually how things move and how you move with the body right so it's a very interesting system
0: okay so why did you then choose to qualify in both fst and massage
1: one thing that I've done constantly through my like, years in the industry is understand how I can, you know, develop and what I know. And when I first found out about FST, a couple of my colleagues at my workplace had done like a basic course. Right. So, you know, as a personal trainer, the first thing you need to look at is what are you going to do to stay relevant and longevity? Right, yeah. So I done the FST. And then I thought, I want to become a master at this. So I've done every single level possible to become the highest I could add that thing. And then in that, you need to develop your own style. And in developing my own style, I understood that FST is amazing. But there's some bits, as you say, that get gummed up or glued up that also need some type of manipulation.
0: Yeah. And actually, you mean physical contact?
1: Yes. So sometimes they need the pressure and the manipulation as well as the stretching to really get rid of that glued area. Right. So that's when I looked into massage. And... In my career, I've had um, the luxury of knowing an, a ridiculous amount of high-level masseuses. I've worked okay. with some when we work with athletes and I do FST on them, like professional athletes. And I know some as my good friends. And one of the things I've always said is massage alone is quite hard. Yeah. It takes a big toll on, on your body, especially you know, when you're doing stuff on really big people. Yeah. And I, when I say big people I don't mean I'm not trying to use it as a nice word for fat. I just mean in general massive people. Yeah. Like a normal rugby player who's like 64 and like stacked that type of um big person.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of muscle there and there's a lot of of work to be done because obviously their sport means that there's impact and there's going to be knots and other issues that come up. And also with any athlete no no athlete is ever 100% when they go into their sports they're always going to be carrying something
1: so i chose the massage to complement the fst and get the best out of it however now after doing that and integrating it into what i already know for a couple of years i'm probably going to do dry needling or something of that that nature
0: really so acupuncture yes okay that's interesting because that's very interesting uh it sounds to me like preparation and recovery is central to your training beliefs
1: well, it always has been because one thing to get across, you know, from my mindset to, to the listeners and to you, Richard, is as you get older, the one thing that changes isn't how hard you can train or, you know, what level of performance you can really be at. It's more about how quickly you recover. Right. And that's the that's the thing that you just can't take for granted because as you get older, there's so many more life issues or life things that come up that your sleep changes your hydration changes, all these things have a knock-on effect on Absolutely. how well you recover. So for me, trying to give myself longevity and, you know, give my, any client I see the best chance of doing what they do and also, you know, keeping them in terms of retention, recovery is utmost.
0: I can't argue with that, to be honest with you. I think it's, it's one of those areas that is so underappreciated because people assume that when they come to the gym and they do a session and they work hard, that's it, they're going to see progress. And then quite often they don't, but it's because they haven't given any consideration to the the non-training aspect, the, the time between that and the next session and what they're going to do. And if you can find methodologies that help them get there, then that's all for the benefit.
1: It's taken me years and years to understand how important that is and look back in my mind. I always look back after every situation and think, what could I have done better? Yeah. I am my own worst critic. And I feel like that's actually benefited me because I've been able to look back and say, no, you need to totally change this. You need to be better at this. You need to write this down and keep a log of this. Cause a lot of the time people get issues in the gym and you know, they'll say, Oh, it's just one exercise. Yeah. But if you've got enough data on that person, you may realise it had nothing to do with that exercise. It was a chain of events leading up to that exercise, which caused the issue.
0: Yeah, and it it just happens to be that that exercise has sat there twice or three times in that chain. And in that wrong place. Yeah, and then by shifting it, it's no longer that problem. That's it. But I think we're both guilty of being perfectionists, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I think that's one of the things that has probably helped us in this industry and, you know, given us longevity. Yeah. Because my whole aim for at least five years six years has been retention yeah and the only way to you know retain clients is to truly understand them and get the most out of them not just in training but in recovery
0: yeah and deliver a high quality service throughout. absolutely okay so we know already we've already discussed that you're a big fan of basketball are
1: we going back to basketball no
0: we're not going back to basketball yet um However, we know we know you are a big fan of basketball, but you also like Olympic lifting. So, how did you get into Olympic lifting when you've got this basketball background?
1: So, I was lucky enough to play high-level basketball in the UK. So, going through like the university system, one of the key things that was put in is SNC strength conditioning for the guys that don't know. So, doing strength conditioning, Olympic lifting is always a theme. Right, and I quite liked it. I was good at it because even though I'm quite short, I'm very explosive. So as you know, the key thing with Olympic lifting is explosiveness. So I could, right. I was quite good at harnessing my power.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. And for the listeners, the reason why something like Olympic lifting, I suppose, would be put into a basketball strength and conditioning program would be because that explosive action will mimic stuff like jumping, quick movements, that kind of thing.
1: I think... A lot of sports in the UK are still behind the curve. But there's not many sports out there that I wouldn't put Olympic lifting in as part of the training. Because yeah. I don't think there's anything... There's not many sports where you don't need to be explosive in some form.
0: Yeah, I, could, I mean, I'm trying to think of something where you wouldn't... Maybe potentially certain positions in rugby, you might not need it because it's more strength-based. In...
1: Yeah, but it's still a quick movement in some situations.
0: Yeah. Going back to the Olympic lifting... So it was effectively something that you started doing when you were at university then?
1: Yes. So I'd done it at university and then when I came to the gym that I'm at now, it got taken to a new level because I was around people who had a higher understanding of Olympic lifting and how to structure Olympic lifting. So um, one of the things things I'd done was I'd done the UK SCA courses. Right. Which is the UK Strength and Conditioning Association. They have like a set... I think four or five courses that you do, then you do an exam. Right. And it takes you through programming, Olympic lifting. Um, and there's two others that I can't remember off the top of my head. I've done all of them because I was like, I like training and I like strength and conditioning so I want to get a deeper knowledge into that. Right. And at the same time, uh, my friends at work, I was doing an educational system and at the, in the education, you were learning even more.
0: I see. Okay. But you
1: know, to be good at anything in terms of our industry, you've got people who can just talk about it. But if you've done it, then you've got a totally different perspective on how to coach it. Someone yep. who's never lifted 150, 180 kg can't really have a true understanding on how to teach someone to get there and all the little issues they're going to have along the way.
0: Yeah, and, and equally, I think as well, there's a, there's a very big difference between teaching a group of athletes who are at university Olympic lifting and doing one-on-one work with individuals who are not necessarily at that same level because, you know, they're older or, you know, they're coming from a different background. I think that makes all the difference because I think a lot of the, probably the stuff you would have done at university doesn't actually have a direct carryover with most clients when you're going through no. Olympic lifting.
1: So this will make you laugh. I was at this, uh, one of my universities, I was there for a year. One of my friends, who's a really good basketball player, never stopped using the stick. He never actually used the bar. Really? His his technique of form was so bad that our coach, Joel, was just like, yeah, you're just going to stick to the bar for now, okay? Stay <laughs> to the bar. And that, that was the whole year. It was, oh, it was, it was hilarious. Honestly, I just couldn't stop laughing. So that was the basis. But then I took it to another level because then I thought to myself, why don't I just compete in Olympic lifting? So yeah, I gave it a shot for a year. It was a very hard year. How far did you get? So I didn't actually compete. I missed one of the competitions I was meant to do, but my um, snatch was 90 kg. My clean and jerk was 110.
0: What weight were you at?
1: What weight class were you in? I was about 75. So I had to lose a bit to go down to the 73. Actually, no, because the class are different to powerlifting. Yeah. So I think there's a 75 class. Yeah, I think there is. So I kind of had to... I would have had to watch my pounds Yeah. for that one. But yeah... I've really loved it and I could have kept going but the one problem is the centre of everything I believe is recovery. Yeah. And I knew that I couldn't get the right recovery to continue to do this and it not wreak havoc on my body. So I would need weekly massages, chiropractor sessions. Funny enough, during that period, the thing that actually worked best for me during that whole year of Olympic lifting and helped me handle the fatigue and help me handle the strain I was putting in my body was Bowen technique. Okay. It involves gentle stretching of fascia to help organs, muscles and promote pain relief. So it's a low end stretch. This is going to make you laugh. Because that's the kind of normal definition. However, that's not what happened to me. What happened to you? It's almost like I would lay down and there'd be certain points, certain trigger points that she would Flick over or manipulate slightly, right, and then she'll wait a couple of minutes. Then do another point, manipulate that. And when I say manipulate, I mean like two, three finger touch and (laughs) flick. It it was so surreal. However, that with a massage once in a while kept me in tip top form.
0: It sounds to me like your CNS just got like switched off.
1: It was insane. But because I wasn't able to get it all the time once she left, that was one of the key factors that made me stop because I thought, what I'm going to do to my body in the long run, is it really worth it for this? And I love Olympic lifting, but being such a... Being an expert in the field, I understood that my body could only do so much before I was going to get a major injury.
0: Yeah, and then it's just, as soon as
1: you do that, it's That's game it. over. That's it. With uh, with the amount of sleep I get because of work, yeah, it was just wasn't, wasn't worth it.
0: Okay, so let's go back a stage. So we've mentioned that you went to university, played basketball, picked up some Olympic lifting there. How then did you become a
1: personal trainer? It was a funny road. Finished my degree. Yeah. And then after doing my degree, you know there's always something that you really specialise in or really like. Yeah. Psychology was it for me. Right. So at my current uni, I could have stayed to play basketball for another two years and do a master's there, which was quite good. However, you know, financially I thought, with the amount of debt I would be in, was it really worth it? Right. So I moved uni to do my master's. Okay. Then once I'd done that, I looked into the route of being a sports psychologist. Because like, I've done the master's now, you know, it must be a smooth transition. This is kind of naive of me, because so I should have looked at the whole route first. Yeah. I found that I had to do a two to four year conversion course to be a sports psychologist. Wow, really? Yes, I was so upset. I was like, it's not really worth it. Because I really value education. However, mm-hmm. You've always got to weigh up the balance between finances and education because you can learn a lot and maybe you know they say in time you'll get your money back. But certain fields you'll go into and you'll never actually get the money back. So you've got you built up a lot of debt which you have to pay off. Yeah. So for me, I was just I thought I need to be smart with these decisions because in the long run it's going to come back to bite me.
0: Yeah, I can I can see that because obviously, sports psychologists there's going to be a limited field that you're going to work with because they're all sports people and athletes. And, yeah, I can imagine the money's not necessarily there unless you get hooked in with, like, Team GB or something.
1: So, you know, it's one of those things that you're not guaranteed. I could have done the course for four years, but am I guaranteed to be at a good enough level where that career by itself could sustain me? So I was like, I'm not going to take that risk. Luckily, one of my good friends or family friends had helped me out a couple of years ago and give me um, like a voluntary job in gyms, so you know I had my level two or level three yeah. qualification. So I thought, okay, let's go into this, and then that's where it started.
0: Okay, interesting. And then you know, a couple of years later, we met. That's it. Right. So you know, I like personal growth and development. Yep. Are there any beliefs or things that you used to do that you were adamant were were great and were the right way to go that you you know you used to do in the past? you no longer agree with or practice now?
1: It sounds funny. But not really. Maybe some of the crazy chest sessions and stuff we used to do. Yeah. Like that extreme volume training for split body parts. But no, not really. I think the thing that's changed with me over the years is I've understood the importance of some things over others. Yeah. So, you know, because of the strength and conditioning background... I was always, you know, of a mindset of complex lifts, complex movements. Right. I wasn't really into the body part training. It's so only when I became a personal trainer and I was working in the gym, I learned about the a lot more about the split training. Yeah. Which is totally different. Um. Yeah. I'm the same. But even there, because you you remember those days. My thought process was a lot different than most of the people there. Yeah. Because for for us it was about shaping our craft. Not just how much money we're making, how many sessions we do, but shaping our craft and being more efficient and more effective with every single session or interaction we had.
0: Absolutely. And I, th- I think that's where a lot of our peers sort of fell down because they were so eager to get the money up and get as much as they could. And they, they equated success against that. Whereas we were looking at it as a, what knowledge gain do we get? what What understanding and base we had? Because... The difference is now is I think we're far more versatile than a lot of other people. A lot of other people, uh, you know, they might be good at one way of getting people to lose weight. Whereas, you know, I can walk into any situation with any person and go, okay, well, I've got 10 different ways of doing this. Which way am I going to pick today?
1: For me now, one of the things that I really don't do is I don't do body part training with many people. Yeah. Because I don't feel like many people actually need that. Maybe it's my clientele. But also I realise, I understand that, you know, if you get the right big movements with a couple of accessories, you never really need to lock into one body part.
0: There's an argument to be made that certain clients with certain needs might need to work in one area because, say, they're deficient or defective there. But generally speaking, most people, I agree with you, I don't really see the benefit of them doing that. Because that split training style, we both know special vitamins are what makes that really effective.
1: Without a doubt. Unless you're doing something where you're doing a GVT. But even with GVT, you're not really going in and specialising on one body part. You're doing like opposite, so pushing a pull. Yeah. So that's the only thing that's really changed. and it's, So truly understanding now, in my mind, is looking at any type of training, knowing exactly how it works, how it can be manipulated, and when it should be used.
0: What about other little things like tweaks where you might have, say, put more value to say a plank in the past and now you might not because you might decide that another core exercise is a better assessing tool or is a better general movement for someone to to practice.
1: Weirdly enough, no. Plank is still one of my go-tos. People, the funny thing is, I get a lot of clients that say to me, you know, why don't we do other things? Why do we not do like crunches and so on? And why do we always do planks and stuff like that? Because without going too deep into it, like we've said in um, like I've said before in some of the other podcasts, you've got stability,
0: yeah,
1: rotation, anti-rotation, and extension. Yeah. Before when, you know, we were younger in the game, we truly didn't understand rotation and anti-rotation the way we do now. No. But those things are always gonna be core. I was always stuck around the core movements and how to really work on those core movements like the squats stuff like that the split squats i think the thing for for me was i was lucky enough to have certain people around me which they educated me but at the same time they were on the same path so they actually just kept kept me focused on refining and understanding all the vital things we needed and as as you said before we've had colleagues along the way who have you know spent time with us but They've gone off on totally different tangents because they yeah. didn't think as analytically and, and try to understand each movement and why to use it and what could go wrong with the movement and so on.
0: Yeah, and then you know you, you've equally on the other side of that you've got the people who are way too academic, and their focus is is far too much on what the studies say and what the data suggests. And you know they're, they're people who uh, you might meet who are who are adamant that a hip thrust is the best exercise for say butt building and you you know and there is scientific data that shows that but that doesn't work for everyone
1: that's it so that's why I've worked really hard to get the balance
0: yeah it's bro science meets academia if you want so let, let's build on that point then a little bit how much do you consider education important versus practical experience of actually working with individuals hands on
1: I feel like in a person who's been a personal trainer in a normal gym and had to work to get clients and build a client base, I feel like for them, the education is higher. Yeah. But you, there's a lot of people who have education, as you said, but have no experience in a real gym. Yeah. So it, it's tough. I think it's person to person. I think for me and you, it's the education, but that's because of where we started. We started in in. So, listen, we started in what you could class as, like, the hard knock type gym.
0: Yeah. You're a family man. Has having a family shaped or changed you or your beliefs?
1: When you say beliefs, do you mean in terms of training? Yeah. No, it's just intensified it. What do you mean? So, earlier we were talking about preparation and recovery. Yeah. What's changed now is I am, like, my own experiment for the most effective preparation and the best recovery because I have no time. <laughs> no time in the house. In an idle situation, before any session, whether in my gym garage or at a gym, there are certain things I used to always do. Right. I used to foam roll for about 15 minutes, then I used to stretch out, uh, do some FST stretching with the resistance bands, yeah. and then get into the movements. Right. I don't have that much time anymore. So I need to pinpoint areas. So in terms of preparation, looking at myself, I think, what are the key things that always reoccur in terms of tightness? Right. Where are they? I make sure I do them in terms of foam rolling or stretching. Then I get into the workout because I don't have that much time.
0: So you've got your core, two, three things you hit every
1: time. Every single time. And it, it sounds weird, but it's actually, it's further helped shape my training because now Everything that I believe in needs to be condensed into a smaller time period. So whether it's me or my clients, it's, okay, there's a list of things you need to do to make sure no matter what training session you do, you you feel fine. But now we need to start looking at that four or five things, whether we can take out some of the areas you phone roll and consistently for a two-month period doesn't cause any issues. So trial and error.
0: Right, I see. So effectively, you're, you're trying to see what the minimum effective dose is.
1: That is it for prehab. Right. My ultimate goal isn't to actually look a certain way. It's to be able to do a certain amount of things. Yeah. I care more about basketball and how, you know, my training helps my basketball than anything else. That's because I love basketball a lot more than I love going to the gym and just worrying about vanity. Yeah. So for that purpose, my aim has always been, what do I need to do to stay in good condition,
0: Okay, I've got one final question for you. All right. With your kids, do you see any athletic signs that they could become potential Olympians or professional athletes in
1: the future? <laughs> have you seen anything yet?: <laughs> They're quite young, but I look at my daughter sometimes and I think you have the same amount of crazy energy I do.
0: Okay. I just
1: need to apply it to the right thing. For a lot of the trainers, they know about the 10,000hour rule.: you Yeah, know, for experts. Not to get too geeky, but if I get her into a couple of sports and she finds the right one by the time she's six or seven, she is miles ahead of the curve by the time she hits her teens. Miles ahead of the curve.
0: Well, there's also a, um, a thing about not specialising too early. So you want to make sure she's got a broader range as possible. That's it. It all just adds into the mix. Okay, so we heard it here first. Potential gold medal.
1: I'm trying to make a high-level athlete, someone who got to a higher level than me. Yeah. And make sure that ultimately they're happy. Because a lot of people that, you know, do high-level sports are really not happy.
0: That is a key aspect as well, is making sure someone enjoys what they do.
1: Because in terms of playing basketball, I play basketball now and, you know, if I didn't have a family, I'd play basketball a lot more. If I played basketball more, it wouldn't be for the money. It's because I love doing it. It's that one thing, other than personal training, which I can say... I would wake up every single day to do because I just love it.
0: Lawrence, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. Do you want to ask us a question? Well, now you can. We're on email at trainingtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our Instagram handle is trainingtalkspodcast and our Twitter handle is training underscore talks.